Hello and welcome everyone to the Neurology Nuts and Bolts podcast, a podcast all about constructing your career in neurology. I'm your host for this episode, Catherine Fu, and I'm currently a Movement Disorders Fellow at the University of California, Los Angeles, or UCLA. Today, as part of a podcast on using your dual degree, Master's in Education, we're going to be talking with Dr. Rachel Gottlieb-Smith, who's an assistant professor at the University of Michigan, the program director of the University of Michigan Child Neurology Residency Program, and she also obtained her Master's of Health Professions Education from the University of Michigan. We'll also be speaking with Dr. Dara Albert, who's an associate professor and pediatric neurologist and epileptologist at Nationwide Children's Hospital the Associate Program Director of the Child Neurology Residency Program, the Chair of the A.B. Baker Section of Neurologic Education at the AAN, and she obtained her Master's in Medical Education at the University of Cincinnati. Thank you both so much for joining us today, and thank you for taking the time to speak with us, Dr. Rachel Gottlieb-Smith and Dr. Dara Albert. Thanks so much for having us. Yep, thank you. Yeah. So I think this episode will really be of interest to many trainees who are thinking about becoming clinician educators or many early career faculty who are already on the clinician educator sort of faculty track. Um, And many of them may be wondering if they should be pursuing a master's in education, if there's a need to pursue additional degree programs. And so, Rachel, maybe I'll start off with you. What was your primary motivation for pursuing a master's in education? That's a great question. Thanks, Catherine. I think my primary motivation was to gain the expertise and the credentials needed to succeed in this growing and really exciting world of medical education. I was specifically looking for additional background in education research and research methods. And at the time that I was thinking about pursuing my master's, I was also joining as a new faculty member. And so I was hoping to gain more inroads and connections with the medical education community here. Dara, what about you? I would echo a lot of those sentiments. I think that um, learning and mastering those skills of medical education scholarship as well as how to design and implement curricula uh, were really important to thinking about be- a career in medical education and skills that I wanted to to learn more about. Yeah, that's great. Rachel, do you mind going in a little bit more depth about maybe some examples of specific like knowledge or skill sets that you think the master's has really helped advance? Yeah, at the time I was pursuing my master's, I was also pursuing this qualitative research project. And I had a qualitative research mentor who's wonderful, Dr. Doreen Bomber. Um, and also through the program, I was able to gain additional qualitative research expertise to complete that medical education research project. The program that I was in had entrustable professional activities. So these were all gaining competencies within those areas that I was already going to be pursuing. So I used the program to enhance my skills in areas like mentorship, in areas of leadership, and then specifically looking for additional uh, education research background in qualitative research, as well as some quantitative methods. Awesome. And then Dara, what about you? Do you have some examples? Sure. So, I mean, continuing along the lines of education research through some coursework during my master's, I was able to really hone my stats skills. And now I can at least do some basic stats and have published now several papers with statistics that I have personally done, which is kind of cool. I also learned the, 
you know, important factors that should be in a successful medical education research project that have enabled me to actually get funding, secure funding. So I got a grant from the American Board of Psychiatry and Neurology for a medical education research project. And that project actually was a project that was part of my, you know, coursework that I was able to bring to fruition, get funded and and complete. Thank you all so much. And so, um, Dara, maybe I'll start with you for this next question. But when you were perhaps considering some of the different programs that are available out there, um, what elements of program structure did you consider? And why did you ultimately choose um, the master's in education program that you ultimately decided to pursue? Sure. So um, I started my master's during my first year of faculty position. So it was very important that I find a program that was going to be geared towards working clinicians, you know, that time is very valuable and limited. And so definitely looking for a program that is supportive and and conducive to being a working physician alongside studying a physician. And specifically that probably meant an online program. At the time, Ohio State University, which is where Nationwide is, did not have a program. So it wasn't an option to do something local. So I had to look elsewhere. And I looked at programs across the country and many of them that I was finding, either the coursework wasn't built for a working physician or there were in-person components to it. And it just wasn't realistic to think about, you know, traveling a few times a month or something or a few times a semester. So so those were kind of important factors as I was deciding. And also um, my institution was paying the bill. They were paying for my master's. So I was kind of limited in terms of what they would be willing to, to cover. And so Cincinnati seemed to fit all of those bills. It's a completely, you know, online program. There was no in-person component. At least when I went through it, there are 10 classes with a final project and you could take as long as you wanted. So there were some semesters where I was only taking one class. And so it was, uh, you know, nice and flexible in that way. And my program was willing to cover the bill. So for all of those reasons, it made sense for me. (laughs) And then Rachel, what was your experience? Very similar in terms of the Thinking about what would be a good program, just like Dara said, I started the program during my first year as faculty too, and so I was also looking for a flexible program. Thinking back about the decision, a little bit of it was actually tied into where I was going to be going for my first faculty position. And so part of the reason that I ended up at the University of Michigan was because of the strong emphasis on medical education here. They have a really strong Department of Learning Health Sciences, and that's where the master's program here is housed. And so that was a big draw to come to the university itself. And so it worked out that I applied to this program. It also helped that my tuition was covered that I negotiated for when I came here for the program. The program structure is a time variable competency-based program. Sounds like Dara also had a very similar time variable program. And I was mentioning these entrustable professional activities that you complete and you gain competencies in particular areas. You work with a mentor to gain those skills. But just like Dara was saying, it's all projects that I would have been doing anyway and reflections on projects and how I could be doing them better. And so that worked well because it allowed me to do both at the same time, which is very helpful as an early career medical educator. And then separately, at the time, there were some in-person 
twice yearly retreats, they've now switched those to more virtual. And there are also monthly webinars to try to build that cohort feeling, which can be a little trickier in that time variable program. And so they've added in some elements that help with that. And so I think they've done a really nice job of developing a community, a learning community, a community of, of medical educators through the program. Yeah, I think a lot of what you both mentioned that like time variable nature, the flexibility of being able to pursue this program while also doing, you know, full-time clinical work is is definitely a key factor. So since we've already been sort of touching on some of these topics a little bit, I'll dive into this next question on sort of barriers to pursuing a master's in education. When I speak with some other faculty who are thinking about pursuing degree programs, they really mention like, you know, they're a little bit nervous about approaching their chair and asking for the department to potentially cover tuition costs and are not sure if this is, you know, something that's worthwhile for them to pursue um, and or sort of that time needed to complete the master's program is probably another significant barrier. Uh, how did you approach sort of overcoming these challenges? How did you start having those conversations? So I can say this was part of when I was applying for faculty positions I tried to make it known that medical education was my passion. This was my career path. This is what I wanted to do. And to do that, I really needed this extra learning through a master's program. And so it was part of what I was trying to negotiate for um, time and tuition. And then later on, actually, separately, I had applied for the American Academy of Neurology Medical Education Research Training Fellowship. And so that helped a lot as well because that protected more of my time to do a medical education research project and also the training for that. So that helped. But within the process, I'd already started to negotiate for some time and the tuition to complete the master's. I think going back, I would think about for everybody who's going to be negotiating to think about how you can further the education mission of the place that you're at and how the master's will get you and the program, your education program there, and use that for your negotiations. Yeah, I would agree. Same thing as Rachel. My uh, negotiation was part of my faculty negotiation, my first job at a fellowship. And I'm fortunate that my chair was very uh, encouraging. And, you know, we just, we, we made it work. I, they, they covered the tuition and some uh, protected clinical time, you know, time away from clinic to actually complete the coursework. But I would agree that if you're you know, not necessarily in that position, but trying to negotiate for to, to get another degree that thinking about what is what is the department? What are you as a professional going to gain from these added skills? What are you going to bring to the educational mission, as Rachel said? Yeah, it sounds like really making sure you're career goals that um, really align with the educational mission of the department or the program that mm -hmm. you're applying to. That's great. Dara, uh, for this next question, I'll have uh, you go first. Were there any aspects of your sort of master's program that like really surprised you or sort of unexpected? I don't know about surprising. I think it was exciting to learn this, this information, some of which were things that I had already at least thought about a little bit or encountered, you know, during my training, but it was, it was really neat to dive deeper and to be able to focus, you know, more deeply on things like adult learning theory, how do adults learn and thinking, thinking about how we actually teach medical learners and are we 
being true to how adults actually learn and in not every case, right? There's a lot of education that just sort of happens because this is the way it's always happened. And, you know, it was, it was really neat to kind of be learning how, how I could put that theory into practice and do better in the future. Now I'll echo what Dara said about that being, I don't know about surprising, but a huge aspect of the program that was really valuable. Separately, I think, maybe surprising in a good way was this community of practice that was developed through the learners of the program. And that actually extends to the alumni. And so I was surprised as an alumnus about how connected I still am to the program. I recently interviewed for their leadership is transitioning, just transitioned for our program. And so I recently was involved in the interview process. I'm still invited to the webinars and the retreats and I find them incredibly helpful. There's still lots to learn. And so I appreciate being continually involved in the program. That was a surprise because I expected to complete the program and then sort of that was graduation, but it's still a program that I'm very much involved in. Yeah, that's great. Thank you both so much for sharing. I'll just add here, I'm also in the process of pursuing um, a master's in education for health professionals through Johns Hopkins. And it has a lot of the similar, I think, features of the programs that you both went through that it's sort of asynchronous, online, very flexible. And I've also agree, I've like really enjoyed, I think, this online community that they've been able to foster with all the students in the program. Um, And it's great because they have sort of a weekly discussion board and it's I think pleasantly surprising or I guess validating how many of us have very similar struggles within our own um, programs and divisions, a lot of similar sort of challenges that we're trying to address or resolve within our you know, educational programs. You know, how can we give, uh, train our faculty to give better feedback to learners? How can we improve our curriculum? Can we create individualized learning plans for, you know, our trainees and our learners? Um, and so I think that's been really helpful to have that community and to really discuss a lot of these, you know, very, I think, almost like sort of universal topics um, with this very tight-knit group. So that's been a really great experience. Rachel, what opportunities do you think the master's has afforded you that would not have otherwise been possible? That's a good and very tricky question. I think the master's may have allowed people to see me as a more serious medical educator. So thinking back about the role, some of them I think I was just lucky to get into. But since starting the master's and coming to faculty, I've been able to get a lot of different roles in undergraduate and graduate medical education, some longitudinal teaching roles in the medical school, the child neurology residency program director. And then more recently, I stepped into this role as director of education for our division. And I think certainly being seen as a serious medical educator helped perhaps. I think probably more importantly, the skills that I gained in the master's helped set me up for success in those roles. And so I really appreciate that aspect. Dara, what about you? I I would echo everything that Rachel just said. Definitely when, um, you know, for example, leadership positions have come up in the division or in the hospital or the institution, I, I know that I have been taken more seriously as a candidate for those roles, some of which I've been able to get and some, you know, other people got, but that's okay. Um, but certainly having that added skill and that degree that shows, as Rachel put it, like I am a serious medical educator and want to make med ed a huge part of my career. And then it also, you know, has really helped kind of speak the language of academia in terms of promotion. So, you know, you need to publish and create scholarly output in order to get published. And 
you know, most department chairs, that is a, is a big part of their job is making sure that their faculty are getting promoted and, and being successful academically. And so being able to put that degree to use and, and have output that, you know, goes alongside the, the work that I'm doing with uh, as an educator has been very helpful. Do uh, either of you have, I guess, experiences with in terms of pursuing the master's in education, whether that's helped you get more involved in sort of like on a you know medical school level, sort of leadership positions outside of the Department of Neurology or the division or program that you're um, currently in? Yeah, I think it's hard to know what the master specifically helped, uh, but I was recently invited to join a special review committee for our graduate medical education office. I think certainly being seen as a serious medical educator and some of the connections that I made through the master's program helped with that. Yeah. Dara, what about you or, you know, any colleagues that you may know who who have had similar experiences? Yeah. I mean, I'd like to think that me as a whole person, not just the letters behind my name, helped me you know, achieve certain roles. But um, very recently, I took on a leadership position in the medical school. I'm now leading a program for first and second year students. And I know as I was speaking with the leader leadership and the people that ultimately chose me for that role, the fact that I have this experience and expertise in medical education scholarship was a big deal for them. So they've had this program for many years, but nobody has ever published about the program or has looked at it in a scholarly way. And so I don't know what the competition looked like, you know, what other people who applied for the job, whether they had master's degrees or not. But I do, I did hear from the people that, you know, ultimately chose me for the role that they wanted me to bring that expertise and scholarship, um, which I, I do trace back to my degree. Yeah. And then, you know, I'm sure there are many of our listeners who ultimately may not choose to pursue a dual degree, you know, for any of the reasons or sort of challenges we may have mentioned earlier, or just, you know, for their preference and for because of their career goals. Um, but they would still like to strengthen their skills as clinician educators. And so what alternatives would you recommend to them? What other sort of resources or opportunities would you suggest? One option might be to just find a great mentor. So if you're at University of Michigan connecting with Rachel and having her serve as a mentor and how to gain those skills of as a med- medical educator, you know, can be incredibly valuable. And that's something that I had during my residency. So it, it all started back when I was a resident and I went to the clerkship director and said, hey, I want to help you teach the med students. And he said, yeah, that's great, but you're also going to help me work on this med ed research project. And I was like, okay. Um, and then it all just sort of spiraled from there. So great mentorship can really go a long way, you know, and you don't need a degree to, to have a good mentor, right? And to benefit from that mentor and, and sponsor, sponsorship. Beyond that, there are lots of like certificate or competency type of programs. Many residencies have them. So our our, um, residency has one, you know, so there are things that are either local or nationally or maybe at your associated medical school that are, you know, education competencies or certificate programs that might be a, a compressed or smaller version of a degree. And still at the end of it, you've got that certificate on your wall that shows that you put in that extra work um, to learn those extra skills. 
and, you know, to hone, to hone those extra skills. So that might be another option that could lead ultimately to wanting to do a full degree or maybe not. Maybe that's enough. Yeah, great. Rachel, anything to add? I think Dara really covered it well. I think lots of institutions now have clinician, educator, faculty development programs, which can be certificate-based or just in faculty development, some smaller, shorter seminars that you can take advantage of. And then there are some national programs. The AAMC has a leadership and uh, medical education development program. You know, the Harvard Macy Institute has one. And so if you'd like to go nationally, there are other programs available. But I love what Dara said about, you know, start, you can start with a local mentor and that's great. And then if you want to pursue additional training, it's available. Yeah. And just to uh, follow up on the mentorship point, um, I think also seeking mentors sort of outside your own institution has been something that's been very valuable for me. Um, And Dara, since you're the section chair of the A.B. Baker neurologic section um, at the um, AAN, um, I think that's such a great community of people. you know, people who are all interested in neurology education. And I'm sure there are people who are, you know, interested in collaborating. And I think last year when I went to the AN annual meeting, I met a lot of really enthusiastic clinician educators. It was so great to connect with. And so um, being able to form those connections and work on projects together um, across institutions is, has also been really valuable. Yeah, thanks for the plug for A.B. Baker. There is a wonderful and growing community of neurologists that are passionate about medical education. And perhaps because of the our passion for medical education, we are all passionate about being mentors, right? Like that's part of being an educator is, is mentorship. And so we are a particularly open and welcoming group of people that are more than happy to to serve as mentors for colleagues across the country. Um, So yes, A.B. Baker and our associated Synapse community is a great way to connect with national mentors. Well, great. Well, as we um, prepare to sort of close out the episode here, um, Rachel, do you have any sort of final thoughts or words of wisdom for our listeners for this episode? People who you know, are either aspiring to be um, clinician educators or are you know, just launching their careers and thinking about how to be successful just that I'm excited to see that there are people who are interested in this and listening to this. And we really would love to have you join our community. So please do reach out if you have any questions. Awesome. And then Dara, any final, final thoughts? Yeah, I would echo that. It is really fun and rewarding to see um, all the people that are passionate about teaching and education, just like I have always been. And, you know, when I started med school, didn't necessarily know how to make that a career and, now that I think I've done, you know, the decent job of doing that, happy to help others, you know, kind of figure that out as well. Well, thank you both so much again for this wonderful conversation. And I hope it'll be really helpful to a lot of our listeners who are sort of embarking on this career path. Thank you so much for having us. Thank you. The Neurology Nuts and Bolts podcast was created and produced by Dr. Sarah Schaefer. It is not recorded as an official podcast of any institution or organization. The podcast is unfunded. Opinions are those of the individual participants. Music by Audrey Nath. Artwork by Shivani Goshal. 
Want more content like this? Be sure to subscribe to the Neurology Nuts and Bolts podcast on whichever platform you use to listen to your podcasts to hear more about constructing your career in neurology. Follow us on Twitter at NeuroBolts and on Facebook at Neurology Nuts and Bolts to stay up to date on new content and give us feedback on what you want to hear next. And please share our episodes with your friends and colleagues. Thanks for listening and tune in for the next episode.